You're listening to Healthy Headline News. This is Dr. Dan Diamond. I got some great stuff to talk to you about today. Things that you need to know about for you and your family to be healthy. We're going to talk today about strength training in kids. We'll talk a bit about sleep disordered breathing and how that is linked now to behavioral issues in kids. And I really want to talk about the use of or abuse of bath salts. And by the way, these are not things that you use in the bathtub. Now, the FDA has come out and say now that there are over 90 people that are sick on the East Coast and in the Gulf states with salmonella. And, man, I got a personal story to share with you about that one. Uh, that's an amazing story. Uh, we're going to update you on Dallas Weens. He's a guy that had a face transplant about a year ago. We got great news on him. And then we're going to talk a little bit about this new $54 million graphic stop smoking ad campaign that's going on. So first thing on our list today is this article that came out in USA Today recently about strength training for kids. Now, I remember when I was a kid, we used to go down to my buddy Mike Armstrong's house, and his dad was a physical education teacher, so he had all the great stuff. We had free weights down there and an old picnic table bench that we laid down, and we stuck our head inside this wooden crate that his dad had made with a little notch for the weights. We started lifting weights as early as sixth grade. Well, the new report that's out now by the American Academy of Pediatrics is we can actually start a little earlier with kids. We can, it's now recommended that we start some strength training with kids as early as seven or eight years old. It's important to know that they should not do it unsupervised, though. Kids tend to get pinched by the weights. They can do it incorrectly. They can lift incorrectly. Um, they can tend to overdo things. So, you know, sometimes you don't have to use weights. You can use resistance bands, and those work really well for kids. The important thing is that they need to be supervised. They shouldn't overdo it, and it's good for kids to get a variety. A lot of kids these days focus year-round on a single sport. When I was a kid, everybody played everything, but now people pick their sport young, and they tend to stay with that sport throughout the year. That has some disadvantages when it comes to training. So, for example, a kid that's playing soccer may not do as much to develop the upper body strength as they would their legs. So, good idea to get them in, go to the YMCA and check that out or your local club where they can get some supervision. Uh, but don't be afraid about starting early with your kids as early as seven or eight years old. Now, the next thing on our list today is this new study that's out now by Karen Bronuck, she's a Ph.D. It was a study that was sponsored by the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. And she just published a paper that was titled Sleep Disorder Breathing in a Population-Based Cohort Behavioral Outcomes at Four and Seven Years. Now, let me translate that for you. In English, what that means is, if a child is having problems breathing at night, they could have problems with behavior during the day. Fortunately, breathing difficulties in kids are unusual. They're rare. But it is important to remember, at least for us as physicians, to ask about it. And if you're taking your kids in as parents, bring it up. If you've got a kid that's got behavioral issues and they're snoring they have mouth breathing or apnea. And apnea is when they stop breathing for at least 30 seconds when they're sleeping. If you see any of those sorts of things, bring that up to your doc because it's actually very easy 
to treat sleep disorder breathing in kids because usually it happens, it has to do with the tonsils and the adenoids, and it's a simple, relatively simple surgery to fix it. 40 to 100% of the kids that have sleep disorder breathing are more likely to develop neurobehavioral problems by age seven. Something to keep in mind for your kids. If they snore, if they have mouth breathing, or apneic spells where they stop breathing for 30 seconds or more, bring that up to your physicians. Let's get that addressed early on. One of the things that concerns me as a physician is abuse. And we're seeing more and more people now abusing some stuff called synthetic marijuana or bath salts. Now, it has nothing whatsoever to do with bath salts, um, but these are sold under the guise of bath salts so that they can, people can sneak this under the FDA and sneak it by the police, but it has nothing whatsoever to do with bath salts. According to a press release by the American College of Emergency Physicians, in 2010, there were a little fewer than 2,900 calls to poison control centers regarding synthetic marijuana exposure. Unfortunately, that number nearly doubled in the first eight months of 2011. Now, here's what we know about basalts. The only known purpose of these basalts is for consumption as a recreational drug. In a variety of people have a variety of different symptoms that are associated with these synthetic drugs, including things like chest pain, elevated blood pressure, nausea, erratic heartbeat, agitation, paranoia, muscle breakdown, and they can even get hypothermia where they drop their their body temperature down. It can get worse. People can have impaired perception, reduced motor control, extreme paranoia, and violent episodes. They're also highly addictive. There was a boy in Louisiana who snorted bath salts and spent the next few days experiencing intermittent psychotic episodes that resulted in him, unfortunately, committing suicide. There was a teen in Illinois who smoked synthetic marijuana and died when he drove his car into a house. He crashed into the bedroom of a two-year-old child who, fortunately, was playing in the backyard at the time. So something to watch out for. Talk to your friends and your family about stay away from this synthetic marijuana, away from the uh, bath salts. This is evil and bad news. It was about 30 years ago now, I worked in a refugee camp with my wife in Thailand. We were there for about, oh, three months overall. And about a week into it, I ate something wrong and came down with salmonella. So I can relate to what's going on right now on the east coast of the United States and along the Gulf Coast. According to the FDA now, there are over 90 people in 19 states and including Washington, D.C. that have come down with salmonella. They think it's probably related to eating sushi with spicy tuna rolls. Usually that starts about 8 to 72 hours after eating this stuff. And it is no uh, walk in the park. I can tell you that. I lost 55 pounds in three months. I was so skinny when I got off the plane that I stood next to my wife and my parents walked up and and said to my wife, hey, where's Dan? And I said, I'm standing right here. And they were shocked at the weight loss that I had had. Unfortunately, it could be life-threatening. So something to keep in mind, and if you've got a hunkering to have those spicy tuna roll sushi, 
I think I'd lay off on it for now until the FDA figures out where this is coming from. Dallas Weans, back in 2008, was in one of those cherry-picking baskets to go up that they work on the power lines with, and unfortunately his head touched a high-power line. His face was severely burned, and he was blind. Last year, he was one of the few people in the United States, in the world, that have had a face transplant. And now, exciting news. This just came out this week. He went in to see his doctors in follow-up, and he said this caught him a couple of times by uh, off guard, completely by surprise. He can now feel his daughter's kiss. He said it just blew him away, and he wept and cried that finally he can feel his daughter's kiss. Isn't that amazing? Having a face transplant and now being able to feel again. It's fabulous, fabulous. I don't know if you noticed it or not yet, but there is a new stop smoking ad campaign on television, and it is graphic. They spent $54 million on this ad campaign, but it looks like it's working. The number of calls that have come into the 800 number have more than doubled since they started the campaign. But it is graphic. Yeah, it shows pictures of people that have lost limbs, people with uh, tracheostomies that have to cover the hole in their neck just to be able to talk. But they had 33,000 calls that came in last week. The number is 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Or you can go to the website, which is www.smokefree.gov. I really have a passion to help people stop smoking. And I think one of the reasons that I do is because my job is sort of like being in a time machine. I can go from seeing a newborn in one room to somebody that's 10 years old in the next room, 20 years old in the next room, 30 years old, and on up to, I think the most recent one that I saw that was up there was 96 years old. So I get to see this whole timeline, and I can see what happens to people when they start smoking and the people that don't start smoking. And I can see this difference, and they diverge relatively quickly from my perspective and the smokers are just not as healthy as the non-smokers. There's these little hairs in the airway that are called cilia, and they beat like little escalators, and they carry all that dust and pollution and junk up, and then you cough it and swallow it and poop it out. It's a great self-cleaning system. But people that smoke don't have it because the cells, those little hairs, are very sensitive, and if you smoke, they fall off. And you end up bald on the inside. So all that stuff that you breathe in gets stuck down in there. And it sets you up to get sicker. It takes about six to eight months of not smoking. And they will grow back. But they're shy. So if you smoke intermittently, you're, they're not going to come back. And they know. Don't ask me how they know, but they know. So it takes six to eight months. And those little hairs will start to come back again. It's never too late to stop smoking. One of the strategies that I use with people is I suggest to them that they get about four or five friends that don't smoke and take them out to the center of the Narrows Bridge, which is not too far from where we live, and smoke their last cigarette down about halfway down and then throw it off. And then have their friends either hug them or pray for them or whatever their peeps do. 
and then walk back off the bridge and take them out for breakfast. But come prepared with a written contract that you sign and give to each one of those people that says that if you ever smoke another cigarette, that you'll pay them each 100 bucks. Now, with my friends, you'd have to put a clause in there that said something like, it doesn't count if you throw the cigarettes at me because they would try to get the money out of me. And I'm not a, not a smoker, by the way. But this does a couple of things. One thing is, it's really difficult to stop smoking cigarettes. Smoking cessation is harder than stopping heroin. Nicotine is the most addicting compound on the planet. So it's really difficult to do by yourself. You're much better off getting a group of people. That'll, you'll find it to be much stronger. And putting some finances in it will help because it seems like when people try to stop smoking, the first thing that happens is something bad. Like they blow all four tires off their car in the middle of a rainstorm and they think, you know, my life is so miserable, I got to go have a cigarette. And bam, they're back at it again. But if in the middle of all that you thought, I got to go have a cigarette, oh, wait a minute. I can still see myself standing out there in the middle of the bridge with my friends and they cared and I'd have to pay them each a hundred bucks and that'd be a $500 cigarette. I think I'll go for a walk. I think I'll give, get on the phone and call one of the, my friends and talk to them. So it'll make you a lot stronger and not a lot more likely to be successful. The other thing that doing that will do is it will change your relationship with those people. It sends the message. I'm not in it alone. I value my relationship with you, and I want to have the kind of relationship where we walk down the road together and we're better off. We're both better off because we spent time together. Our relationship was not just a superficial thing. We met each other where we needed help, and we helped each other. So worth considering. There are also some good medications to help stop smoking. Uh, Chantix is one that we use frequently in the office. It does have some potential side effects. You'd want to, that you would want to talk to your healthcare provider about, but uh, that can be helpful. But I think one of the most important things is to have good relationships and back get a group of people that will back you in your decision to stop smoking. Also came out this week that the FDA is going to be requiring the tobacco companies to release a report of their harmful chemicals. Now, they're not going to start out requiring them to report all 93. Yes, there are 93 harmful chemicals in cigarette smoke. They're going to start out with the easy ones like ammonia and carbon monoxide and formaldehyde. Interestingly, they left off the list this first go around things like cyanide that's also in tobacco smoke. So eh, it's worth thinking about. I'm glad they're going to start mentioning at least some of them. Uh, by the time they get done, they're going to have to make the packages of cigarettes bigger to fit all 93 on the list. I'd encourage you to quit smoking if you're a smoker. Um, it's never too late. You're listening to Dr. Dan Diamond. This is healthy headline news, stuff that you can use to help you and your family get healthy and stay healthy. Thanks for listening.